in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3, Paul writes, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father and the source of all our comfort. He comforts us in all of trouble so that we can comfort others when they are troubled. We will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. For the more we suffer for Christ, the more God will shower us with His comfort through Christ. Even we are, when we are weighed down with troubles, it is for your comfort and salvation. For when we ourselves are comforted, we will certainly comfort you. Then you can patiently endure the same things we suffer. We are confident that you are to share our suffering. You will also share in the comfort God has given us. It's interesting when you give two talks in a day and you get to this point and you feel God saying, you know what, it's time to go off script. And I think that that's one of these nights and I definitely want to talk about what God has put on my heart uh, because I think it's important, but I also think that there's an elevated sense of what needs to be spoken or, or discussed this evening in our hearts. You see, in the scope of relationship, and we talk about relationship a lot here because all things come down to relationship, relationship between us and God and God within Himself, and how we say all things come down to having a right relationship with God and a right relationship with people. But how do we, how do we interact and how do we, how do we exist in this world where we are both physical and uh, spiritual beings? That we have um, the emotions and so many times we were conflicted and so many times that we have opened up ourselves and uh, we have been hurt. And how do we come to a place where we're meant to be brothers and sisters in Christ? But the reality is in the past we've been hurt by brothers and sisters in Christ. And what does that work and what does that look like? And I was talking and really praying about this scripture this, this week, the, the Second Corinthians, and talking about comfort and talking about pain and, and is there any purpose or meaning in pain? And uh, if there is, what, what, uh, what purpose is there? And it's really interesting as I, I looked at the Second Corinthians uh, scripture. If you like, take out all the connecting words. It really comes down to a few things that that God comforts us. Sometimes the reality is we don't feel it. Sometimes He doesn't comfort us enough, or at least we don't perceive that He does. And then there's an interesting thing that in the scripture is saying that God comforts us for a reason. And that reason is that we will comfort others. 
And the interesting thing is when we, when we love, and that's exactly what we're doing when we, we comfort others, that we're loving them where they're at. When we can empathize, when we can look at their, their eyes and we can actually feel the ache and the pain of their soul. There's something large, much larger is going on there than just two people connecting. What is actually happening is that we are connecting with the very nature of God, which is love, and we are loving that person in this pure sense where we're able to actually feel and maybe even carry part of their burden. God comforts us, and God comforts us through so many different ways. For the reason for us to comfort others. And when we comfort and love others, again, we are tying in and getting connected in a much larger spiritual sense, in a much larger way with the Creator of the universe. And we've spoken past several weeks, we've talked about what does it mean to be part of a local church? What does it mean to be part of the body of Christ? And, and how do we interact with one another? And sometimes that's really confusing. You know, what, what is healthy? What, is, what are we meant to be doing? I don't know if you've ever had that awkward feeling, you know, when you see people who are fellow brothers and sisters of Christ, but they obviously have a closer connection with each other than they have with you. And maybe you want that, maybe you desire that, or maybe you don't. And you see them and you're just like, wow, you know, that's interesting. You know, I, I, I'm in this family, but I'm not really in the family. And, and, and am I meant to be intimate with everybody? Or am I meant to be far away from everybody? Or is it something in between? And often we think, okay, I have to be involved with a growth group, which are important. Or maybe I need to come to a corporate worship gathering. Or maybe I need to be part of an accountability group. And we start to run around and we're doing all these things and we're full of activity. And at the end of the day, we're just exhausted. And feel like it's some point or somehow we just didn't measure up. And I think if we really were quiet and we looked deep in our soul, we would say, you know what, I'm not experiencing this, this true sense of what community, what biblical community is meant to look like. Uh, I've been reading a book called Organic Community. It's um, uh, by a guy named Joseph Myers. And um, he has an interesting thinking through this process, and he has a little chart, and I actually, I, I printed it up uh, for you guys to see. And, um, and he thinks, and I tend to agree with him, that, that there's a pattern of belonging. And he says that there's a public, a social, a personal, and an intimate. And that all people, healthy people, should exist in all of these kind of areas at the same time in declining order. You see, if public uh, 
a public belonging would be something like uh, being a fan of something like FSU, where you you go to a football game and you're in a in a stadium with eighty thousand other people, and there's people who have their garnet and gold on and they're doing this and going oh, oh, oh or whatever you know <laughs> and there's a special connection a special belonging that goes around and that transcends the color garnet and transcends the color gold and it transcends doing some war chant and doing this there's something that that you are connected with. But the truth is that if you're sitting in section 2A and there's somebody over in 39B and they have the garnet and gold on, maybe they're even wearing the same number that you are. They, you guys are in sync with the chop. I mean, it is all happening. The place is erupting, oh, oh, oh. And you have this, this sense inside that you belong. But there may be just a chance if you actually met that person that you really wouldn't like them at all. Maybe they wouldn't think the way you think. Maybe they don't hold the same political views that you hold. Maybe they don't even acknowledge a God that you serve. But you still have this sense of public belonging. There's nothing wrong with that. It just is. And then it goes down to a social belonging. And this is where you get a snapshot. We all exist of, of, of who you are. This is not your full person, but, but it is a part, a snapshot of who you are. If you are here for the first time tonight, you probably look at me and you say, oh, he's the pastor of E3, which is true. But when I walk into Starbucks tomorrow morning, I'm the Vente Ice Coffee guy. It's true. Both are true, actually. That different people get different snapshots of, of, of who I am as a complex creation. Same is true for you. You go certain places, people know you as a certain aspect of your life. And then there's the personal, and the personal is, is, a, is, a, is a, a more uh, close bonding. This would be what most people would consider friends. Um, not like the Facebook kind, but like, you know, like people that you would actually recognize if they were walking down the street. Uh, and, uh, you know, people that you would uh, maybe share uh, face-to-face uh, your feelings um, with. Not, not naked. I mean, not, well, not physically or emotionally. I mean, I'm telling you, you wouldn't expose everything at this level, but, but it's a place where, where, you know, you could probably discuss political 
things and uh, you could agree to disagree. Isn't that such a wiener thing? Agree to disagree. It's just like, yeah. Agree to disagree. But that's kind of this level. You can, you can agree to disagree. You can like somebody. You can do life with them. And you don't necessarily, uh, they don't necessarily know all your deepest, darkest stuff. And then finally, intimate. And intimate uh, is really if you're, not if you're lucky, but you, you kind of need, if you can get one person that you can be intimate with in, in this life, you're, you're doing pretty good. And if there's more than one person who you could walk up to and tell them your deepest, darkest secret and, and, and they wouldn't run away, you know, or, or, or try to destroy you or reject you. I mean, this is the, this is the, that place. I mean, this is, this is the person where you could be in your house, in your underwear, dancing, you know, to, uh, you know, how do you get all that junk in your trunk? You know, kind of, kind of stuff. And you're just going at it. You don't think anybody else is there in the world. And they walk in and they join you. I mean, that, you know, and you're doing the booty bump with them. I mean, this is, you know, people that, that you, I mean, you are tight. You're just, you're silly with them. You, you cry with them. You know, all of these kinds of things. And they're, the idea is that this is a descending order from the 80,000 to the one or two. And so how, knowing that, I mean, how, does that how does that work? What, is that, what does that look like as followers of Christ? How do we interact with one another? Because, you know, you know intimate, you know, you can, you can share these kind of things, you know, that, you know, if you're addicted to porn or something, you know, you're, you're, you're not going to, walk into uh, a large group setting, uh, say a public or, or a social, and say, guess what, guys? I'm addicted to porn. It would just be weird. Right? But you're also, you know, not going to, with that one person that you're intimate with, intimate with, you know, you're not going to just sit there and they're going to go ask you like questions like, how are you feeling? Oh, or something like that. And that's the only response you ever get them, give them. I mean, it's just, there's this, we move in and out of these, of these different areas. And I think the, the trick is, and the, the difference between, are we, are we living in a, in a biblical model, or are we just kind of living our lives out as, as, you know, mammals across the planet? You know, are we created beings? Are we living like sons and, and daughters, princes and princesses of the sun most high? Or, or are we living as evolved creatures? You know, what, what is the difference? What does it look like? And... I think that, that it really comes down to, to purpose. And I think that we all exist in this, even in our Christian or our faith world. Publicly uh, going to a, 
uh, a conference, a Christian conference, or going to a Christian concert, or or maybe just going around and you you know you see somebody carrying a Bible, you you have a, a certain affection toward that person, or or maybe not, but uh, depending on where you're at. But but you think, oh, okay, that person is somehow has acknowledged probably Christ as their personal Savior, and and hey, you know we're connected. Or maybe in the social, maybe that's the local church area. You know, you come and, and you have a sense of belonging uh, in, a, in a local church, this one or, or another one. And, uh, you know, this might be the norm factor when you walk in and everybody knows your name and, and all that good stuff. And it's good. I mean, these are, these are good things. There's nothing inherently wrong with that. Uh, and then the personal would be being involved in a growth group where... You know, these are people who, you know, uh, will celebrate your birthday and they'll cry with you and they'll laugh with you and you, you know one another. And then the intimate. And truly, really, I think this is probably where the biggest difference comes in between a, a secular life and, uh, and, a, and a spiritual life is, is that we have the opportunity to, to have an intimate relationship with the creator of the universe. And even if there's not anybody else in the world, even if there, there isn't a physical person, it doesn't matter that much in the scheme of things because we have the ultimate intimate relationship. And that is with God. And it's interesting as we think about this and as we, as we go forward and, you know, we, as we exist in this area, you know, why, why do they descend? Why, why, as we go along, does it get less and we have less and less people in our network of belonging? And really, I think it comes down to is there's, there's risk. There's risk on every time you move from one section to another. There's not much risk, social risk, in being a fan of a football team. There just isn't, unless you're a Raiders fan or something. But, I mean, besides that, usually there's not much risk in, in being connected with something large. And maybe there's a little bit more risk uh, involved in, in, in being involved with uh, some different social networks. And there's probably a lot more risk when it gets down to personal. And then it's about as risky as you can when you actually enter into the intimate. You see, you can very easily share something here and... And you could say, I really hope FSU is going to do well this year, but I'm not really sure if they are or aren't, and I'm not sure. Or if somebody could say, you know what, I think I'm going to go, I'm going to not go to the games this year or something like that. I'm just going to watch them on TV. There's not this huge social rift, you know. You're not going to stay up at nights in a cold sweat with anxiety, are you, over it? I mean, it's like, okay, whatever, you know. Again, going with the social, there's not, there's a little bit more social risk, but there's not as much. Like, if the barista at Starbucks gave me a 
vente iced Americano instead of a vente iced coffee, which has happened, by the way. But we're still friends. There wasn't this, this tearing apart of our, our relationship. That's how well-adjusted I am. I was able to forgive her. And then you get a little bit more intimate in the personal, and this is where it may start to get a little more sticky. Then you're sitting in your growth group, you're sitting, you talk about something that, that uh, is close to you. You're not exposed totally to them yet, but this can be a very fruitful experience or it could be something more painful. You know, it'd be something like maybe you're having financial trouble and you tell your growth group that you're having financial trouble and you really just wanted to share that with them so they would be praying and come alongside you and somebody breaks that trust and goes outside of that group and, and there's this feeling of betrayal much greater than getting a wrong cup of coffee or not going to the game, that there's actually pain and, and anger and there's an emotional response to it. So maybe if that's happened to us that we, or we don't want that to happen, that we step back and we don't want to be involved with that and, and that personal belonging. And then finally, the scariest one, the intimate one, all of us have probably been burned in this area. And we're scared to death of opening up our hearts. That's why it takes so long for us to do it. Not only to other people, but to God. And that's where the danger comes in. And this is where the enemy wins because when we hold on to our stuff and we don't expose our stuff and we don't talk about those things and we don't get intimate at the right times with the right people, that we rob them and ourselves of existing and connecting with the Creator of the universe. In verse 8, it says, We think you ought to know, dear brothers and sisters, about the trouble we went through in the province of Asia. We were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure. And we thought we would never live through it. In fact, we expected to die. But as a result, we stopped relying on ourselves and learn to rely only on God. If you have your own Bible or you just have your message notes, uh, you may want to circle or underline verse 9. And He did rescue us from mortal danger and He will rescue us again. You know, verse 9 is so interesting to me. It says, in fact, we expected to die. We never expected to live through it. They had given up all hope. And then this amazing thing happened. But as a result, we stopped relying on ourselves and learned only to rely on God. You know, you want to go through a life that is absent of adversity. You want to go through life and, and not have anything really touch your, your inner self. You don't want to do the risk of getting personal or intimate. You have that option. You can do that. But you're never going to really be able to experience 
what it is when you come to an end to yourself. And then you have that moment where you are completely relying on God. And that moment when that thing happens, there's a word for it. It's called freedom. I get, a com- I get comments all the time about, from people who are amazed at how honest I am about the different things that I have done that I'm not proud of, about, the, uh, about uh, dealing with anxiety and, and depression and how open I've been about that. People often comment how I've talked about how I used to sleep around or, or I've done drugs in front of my wife and, and my kids. And they say, you know what, aren't you afraid that somebody will think you're a bad guy? Do you think that they'll reject you? Let me tell you something. When this is right, It doesn't matter. You see, my wife and I made peace a long time ago. God and I made peace a long time ago. I came to the end of me a long time ago. And it's not that I don't care what other people think. I want people to like me and think that I'm a good person. But... Ultimately, I've come to a place in my life where I say, you know what? What ultimately matters is what the, my wife who I'm intimate with, my God who I am intimate with, if I have a right relationship with them. That is what is important. And it frees me to be able to say, you know what, God? I can give you this stuff. You know what? What is in the past is in the past. And if somebody wants to judge me for that, they have every right to judge for their own benefit, but it has no impact on me or my family or or the church that God has entrusted me with. Because Christ died on the cross for, for those things. And they have no power anymore in a sense, but they have great power in another sense. You see, as we are talking about God's ability to comfort me has enabled me to be able to comfort others. There's a direct correlation of the, of the freedom. You see, the enemy wins when we feel that we cannot exist in a safe, personal, or intimate area, and we feel that we have to hide our junk from everybody because we fear that they will reject us. And when that fear takes hold of us and we are bound up by that and we are controlled by that, when people are going through the same thing, because of your fear, because of being paralyzed, you're not able to reach out and comfort them, and God comfort them through you. I used to not be honest with anybody. I used to live the ultimate facade life. 
I didn't let anybody know anything was going. I existed only in the public and, and, and the social and very rarely uh, the personal and definitely not the intimate. Because I was afraid that if anybody ever knew who I was inside, the broken, messy person that was inside, that I would lose the social and public. And that's all I had. It was a very shallow existence. And when I finally came to the end of my rope and, and, and everything collapsed around me and my, my dad introduced me to a guy who looked like he had it all together, but he sat down with me and told me about his struggles with anxiety and depression and how we, he was able to have somebody else speak into him. And I didn't know it at the time, but that wasn't a man sitting across the table from me. But that was the very, the very Spirit of God inside him giving me comfort. Because he had come to the end of himself and no longer did he have to hold anything back. And he told me some of the craziest stuff that he used to think and, and still did think. Like just thoughts that would come into his head and I'd be like, whoa, I'm not the only freak. Man, you should like, Go get some help or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But when we're able to open up like that to to one another, when we've been freed from this this constraint, this this bondage of of not having been totally accepted by God and hopefully accepted by someone else, that we have to protect what little we have. But the unfortunate thing is. Or the crazy thing is that you have to give up and risk everything in order to experience everything that God has envisioned for us. I wrote this down. I don't know if it'll mean anything to you or impact you in any way, but the depth of our adversity has a direct correlation to the depth of our reliance on God, which straight out of verse 9. The, then, the depth of our reliance on God has a direct correlation on our ability to encourage one another. The pain, the anxiety, the hurt that you have gone through in your life is not meaningless. That amazing things can happen through that pain if we can get to the point where we can release it. But really, we can't release it. Only you can release it. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 7 and 8, Paul writes, So we have been greatly encouraged in the midst of our troubles and sufferings, dear brothers and sisters, because you have remained strong in your faith. It gives us new life to know that you are standing firm in the Lord. It's one of the scariest two verses in the Bible. It, it, it demonstrates and shows that how we respond to God through our trouble and adversity is a direct reflection on who we believe God to be. 
When I was 15 years old, I, I ran away from home. I've told this story before. Uh, I, I grabbed a couple of things. I grabbed my surfboard and just some different, you know, just little stuff that I thought as a 15-year-old boy were necessities. I headed down to a beach called Trestles. It was uh, right next to a nuclear power plant, so there was plenty of light. Uh, and I built a little hut on the beach. And uh, there was a place called Carl's Jr. up the, up the street. It's like Hardee's here. And I, I haven't been to a Hardee's here, but uh, Carl's Jr., many years ago, two decades ago, they used to have a salad bar all you could eat. And uh, I, bought a, I bought a plate, an all-you-can-eat plate, and each day I would go and eat all I could eat, and then I'd go and wash that plate off in the ocean, and then I'd go back to the next day with my plate that I purchased, and again, and then I think back of that and, and think how the workers just let me do it, whatever, they didn't care, and I guess I didn't care that much either. So I was sitting there, and at 15 years old, I had an oceanfront residence right on the beach. And uh, night after night, I'd sleep in my little hut and surf during the day and, uh, you know, just do my thing, eat my salad from Carl's Jr. And, and, and life was pretty good, you know. People, I knew lots of surfers, so people would come and hang out and things like that. And one Friday night, uh, I heard the lifeguard coming in their, their big truck. So uh, I grab my surfboard and I jump out of my, my little hut and I run to the back of the bushes and I see the truck coming and it drives past my little hut, stops, backs back up, and then runs over my hut. I'm not sure if it was David Hasselhoff or not. <laughs> but I have a sneaky suspicion it was. But I guess it really doesn't matter who it was. What matters was that my hut was destroyed. And that was kind of a trigger of saying, you know what? Maybe it's time for me to move on. The next day I had several friends show up to go surfing and uh, I decided to cruise back with them back up to Los Angeles. So I loaded up my board and I went back to Los Angeles and hung out with them and crashed somewhere that night and uh, Sunday morning came along and everybody was gone or sleeping or doing something and for some reason in my soul, my heart, I wanted to see if my parents were still living out their faith. My parents went to this, this pretty big church uh, in a place called Locker Center. And uh, my parents were this kind of people that always sat in the same pew, in the same place, in the same pew. I guess it was theirs. No one else seemed to challenge them for it. But they always sat in the same place. And, and I wanted to go see if they were still following Christ, and for some reason I equated them going to church and them following Christ, and I've, 
later learned that there's not necessarily a direct correlation. But in my 15-year-old mind, that's, that's uh, how I looked at it. So I decided I'd go there after the, the, the worship gathering started. I wanted to make sure all the grumpy old deacons were like in the build, you know, in the, in the service and the halls were cleared and everything. Uh, in those days, uh, in, in that church, people just didn't randomly walk around. Uh, like they do here, which is cool. I mean, everything, but it just every like when the gathering started, like people actually went in and sat and listened and stuff like that. Uh, so I I knew when it started, um, and uh, I I snuck in there, and I wanted to see if they were sitting in there. And it, so you, I I walked into into the lobby area. There's a big lobby, and then. Uh, right next to the lobby, the, the, the corporate gathering area was. So I walk in there and, you know, looking at all the pictures on the wall of like, I don't know if they were dead pastors from the past or not, you know, like big old pictures of people who, you know, I don't know why they were there, but they were there. You know, you know how the feeling of the old churches that you walk in and they have all these kind of different things. And I was walking in there and, and hoping that nobody would see me. And I come up to the, the door where uh, in this church it would have the, had several of these huge wooden doors and they had these rectangle planes of glass in the door. And sometime, like probably back in the 50s or something, somebody decided that it would be really cool to put um, like this roll stained glass sticker on these pane glass windows just to make it look more churchy or something? I don't know. But they didn't buy enough on this one particular door, so they decided to have a little bit of the glass revealed on top and a little bit on the bottom. And I walked in all quietly, hoping no one would see me, and I leaned down. Looking for the back of my two parents' head. Suddenly a big hand hits me. No, just kidding. Uh, and I saw them sitting there, and they happened to be praying. And that stuck with me for the next 10 years, and then until I had my crash, and it stuck with me to this day. Because in the midst of my parents' trouble and suffering, they remained strong in their faith and eventually gave me new life to know that they were standing firm. It's absolutely terrifying to think that how we respond to adversity has a direct reflection on how people see or how they feel that we view God. But it's true. But this is the scary stuff. And going back to this idea of interacting with one another and in the levels of intimacy, it really comes down to this, that we talk about how 
all life really comes down to is having a right relationship with God and a right relationship with people. And the truth is that everything that exists is in relationship. God is in relationship with Himself. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. It's a very difficult concept to grasp. In fact, I would say it is impossible to understand the Trinity. It's one of these mysteries of God, and to me it's a beautiful mystery of God. And I always laugh at the emails when I get an email and somebody says, can you please explain to me the Trinity? Yeah, right after I get done explaining the predestination email I just got five minutes ago. You know what? Mystery of God is good. I'm reading a book right now called The Shack. And it's beautiful, this beautifully bizarre but uh, neat view of how the Trinity interacts with itself. And uh, it's not a theological book. It's just a fiction thing. But it's kind of it's interesting. But the truth is that God is in relationship with Himself. And in this book, it, it tries to demonstrate how this is the perfect relationship of love without any imperfection. And what if we could truly experience a perfect relationship, it would look like this. And the Trinity is in relationship with the universe that God created. And the universe is in relationship with galaxies. And the galaxies in relationship with its solar systems. And the solar systems are in relationship with its sun. And the sun is in relationship with its planets. And particularly, our sun is in relationship with our eight or nine planets, depending on when you graduated high school. <laughs> and those planets, and the planet is in relationship with the other planets, and, and our planet is in relationship with its environment, and its environment is in relationship with its inhabitants, and the inhabitants are in relationship with one another. And, and it, inhabitants are in relationship with people, and people are in relationship with a person. And here's the really cool thing. We have the opportunity to be in relationship with God. Everything is relationship. Everything relates to one another. We all depend on one another. If you read and understand science that, that the, the probability of all of these things coming together and working, there, there's virtually zero tolerance for going one way or the other. That we, the whole universe, if one thing changes, everything else changes. Even the mere fact of observing something can change everything. We are relational beings. That we need to understand how can we exist in relationship? How are we going to take appropriate risks? How are we going to open ourselves up? How are we going to experience the fullness of life that God has envisioned for us? How are we going to be freed from the, the fear of rejection? 
believe there's probably only, only one ultimate way. And it's not starting in the public, but it's starting in the intimate. It's starting with having an intimate relationship with God. Let's pray. Dear God, I just... Um, I don't know if you are going to use or did use anything that was spoken tonight. If this whole kind of divergence of where we were going uh, was for the benefit of one person. And if that is true, then we thank you for that in the freedom in this place to uh, do that. God, I just pray that we all can understand this under, that this purpose of being connected with one another, this, this understanding of how everything revolves around relationship and that we can strive to have a right relationship with you and a right relationship with others. In Jesus' name, amen.